0: Thanks so much. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. There's so much to go over and talk about uh, before we end it. Right now, the what's happening with the speaker vote um, is right now is Jeffries is actually beating McCarthy 178-168. But there are also 20 other votes, which means they have already crossed that threshold, which means that we are not going to see one of these people win unless there is a lot of crossover votes. So we'll see as time goes on what's going to happen throughout the day. Are we going to get a speaker anytime soon? So we'll keep an eye on it. Um, as far as Arizona goes, we know the lawsuits, and I, I mentioned this earlier, I want to repeat a couple of things. So I apologize if you heard me say it earlier today. Um, we here in Arizona, and I want our elections to be fair like everybody else does. Uh, we all want fair elections. But you have to do things in a way that you are you are bringing people toward your cause and not pushing people away from it. Um. I will not be called names, and I don't care if people do, but I'm not going to worry about somebody being upset with me or calling me names because I don't agree with them. Um, I will have a reasonable conversation with anyone. And um, when you hear people that are saying the election was stolen, they have every right, and I've defended their right to feel that way, much to the dismay of other people that think I shouldn't let them off the hook or whatever else. Well, I would say that's part of the problem. You have a pathway – to prove your point. And I was happy to see that Kerry Lake filed a lawsuit, Abe Homedy filed a lawsuit because that's the pathway. It's not on social media, it's not supposed to be the war of uh, public opinion. It's a courtroom. And you go into a courtroom and you show your evidence to a judge or to a jury or to both or whatever and you get a you get a judgment as to whether or not you have effectively stated your case. If you have presented enough evidence, and that's the way our system is supposed to work. And it's working. The lawsuits were denied, um, both for Abe Hommadei and for Carrie Lake. And I will tell you that if there is somebody around that has a right to be concerned in any level, it's Abe Hameday. Uh That doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with them in perpetuity trying to change the results of an election. But when you go into a recount being down by over 500 votes and you're done with it and it's only 200 votes and you're like, but there were two and a half million votes cast. That's a hard pill to swallow, that there wasn't someone's mistake or something happened that didn't go your way. It's not an unreasonable thing to say, but that doesn't mean that in perpetuity that you continue to do it um we know that the late campaign is also filing a lawsuit to go to the Supreme Court here in Arizona to have their case heard to jump an appeals court and I hope they get I hope they get to hear that I hope that because the legal system needs to be exhausted but I will say this that if at every step of the way you are denied something, And then at the end, you turn around and say, I was right all along. Everybody else here either lied or was in on it or got it wrong. That's where the problem lies. I warned that if we, and I say we as a registered Republican, as someone that is a Republican voter, I said, if we don't focus on 2022, if we don't stop focusing on 2020, we're going to lose in 2022. And that's what happened. And if you want to win elections as a party or as a candidate, you know, will any of these candidates jump back into a race and run again? It's very possible. But you have to learn what happened. Every good organization um, does a very accurate look, good and bad, when they win or lose. Um, You know, the winning team... From any football game, whether it's Friday in high school football, Saturday in college football, or Sunday, Monday, or Thursday in the NFL, the winning team and the losing team watch game film after the game is over. Even the winning team finds places where they needed to improve. But if you're going to spend your time pointing out how everybody else stole it from you and they took it from you, you don't have much of a chance of winning and that's where my concern is that we are going to roll into 2024 arguing about 2022 and also arguing about 2020 and i'm talking about all of us this is not a right and left thing here this is all of us collectively because there are election deniers across the you know the spectrum But suing and complaining and saying that other people are out to get you and that people in your own party are out to destroy you and to attack the character of people um, on either side of the political aisle, there is a difference between a mistake – and something not intentionally, there is a difference between you losing and somebody stealing it from you. And when you start breeding this kind of dissension and discontent, um, it, it 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 never it's not going to end well. So, for the people out there that believe the election was stolen and that they are going to perpetuate that, you're going to have people that either don't show up because they believe it's a rigged game and they just walk away from the process or you're going to see violence and i don't think either is the way to go i think there are a lot of things that can be done to reasonably ensure and improve our election system but when you look at what's happening It is an attack on people that are good people. I've I've mentioned names before, and I I guess it's worth mentioning again. You know, um, people like Bill Gates, uh, Clint Hickman. These are people on the county board of supervisors, diehard, by all accounts, conservative Republicans. But they certified an election in 2020, and now they're being demonized and saying that they helped steal The election for Democrats in Maricopa County, it's an absurd thing to say. I'm sorry. It's just an absurd thing to say. There is no doubt that there were big mistakes on election day in Maricopa County. No doubt. They need to be looked into. They need to be verified as to how it happened. And it needs to be ensured that it never happens again. Absolutely no doubt. No doubt. But to act as if any of those people intentionally did something to... uh, Stop a one candidate or a party from winning elections, especially when it's their party. It's an absurd statement. There is no basis in fact in any of that. And what it does is it damages the process for everybody. So I hope that uh, we are going to move on from 2022 to 2024, and we're going to do so with reasonable changes to make sure that everybody's vote was counted and that everybody feels as if they were treated fairly. I just hope that that's going to be the case. And we'll see. We shall see moving forward. Coming up in a moment for the first time this year, at least for me anyway, it's Did You Hear This? It's how we catch you up on the big headlines. We'll get to it here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Been a crazy, crazy news day. Let's get you caught up. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories.
1: The House of Representatives is in its second day of voting to elect a new speaker. Representative McCarthy is still hopeful that he's elected to the role.
0: I don't really battle. I just, we're not that far away. Only, we only need 11 more votes to win. So I think from a whole perspective, you talk to everybody, it's not that far away.
1: The fourth round of voting has concluded, and it appears that McCarthy did not attain the votes necessary. If he is not the answer, then who is?
0: I don't know. you know, got Byron Donald's got some votes, the guy from Florida that uh, we had here in studio. Um, So I don't know what the answer is here. I really don't. I don't know what the the people that are holding out want here. Um, It does show that there's some division within the Republican Party. There's no doubt about that, but how do they settle those differences and settle on somebody to be able to get all the Republicans in the caucus? And this is something I've said earlier, and I think it pertains to this especially is if you can't rally them to vote for you how do you rally the entire caucus to vote for pieces of legislation they have questions on this is something about strong leaders that we need and that's what we should be looking for here not a popularity contest strong leadership and we'll see if we have someone that can do that
1: Speaking of, yesterday's vote for the Speaker showed a division within the Republican Party, even after regaining the House in the midterms.
0: They come to town taking over the Congress, winning the majority, and they can't even get their their members sworn in. None of the investigations they're talking about can get underway because there are no committees. A liberal Democrat got more votes for Speaker, not once, not twice, but three times.
1: So after the vote is complete, and to your point, how can House Republicans come together to end the division within?
0: That's where the question lies here. I, I you, I don't because I'm not plugged into exactly what the people that are holding out want but this is the two examples I've talked about before that when it comes to winning and losing the Democrats seem to stick together much more often which is why you're seeing Jeffries. Jeffries in his final vote the one that they just had um, it's not a final vote the last vote 212 to 201 20 voting other one person voting present so more again more votes for Jeffries the Democrat because the Democrats are a consensus in the sense that when this all Plays out, they're going to stick together. They're going to fight, they're going to fight, they're going to argue. But when it comes time to vote, winning is what's most important. Can all the Republicans get on board with that? That's going to be the question. And who gets them there? you're listening to did you hear this we do it every day at this time to catch you up on the headlines
1: arizona's department of safety director colonel heston silbert talked to you this morning about his retirement
0: pops came in and i think uh, they want to build their team and, and i think people need to understand and respect that as i do
1: what would be the pressing issues facing the new dps director
0: uh staffing just like everybody else you know we are growing by, le- by leaps and bounds and we have not seen this agency grow they run the statewide radio system which has been outdated for decades they run um, how many, uh, with, when it comes to evidence in a crime lab and so many sworn and unsworn employees, um, they, they need, I think they need massive growth. That's my opinion. Not to mention the border strike force. What happens under a new governor with a new DPS director? What happens with the border strike force? Does that stay in place? Because it's been very effective in helping out some of the border towns uh, we know here in the state of Arizona with local and state crimes. Um, so I think those are some of the big issues. I don't think morale is a big issue. I think the people, that work for DPS are there because they truly love it, because they are proud of what they do and wearing that uniform. Um, so I think that it's going to be more about numbers and budget and uh, we'll see who the next DPS director is. And before we stop the topic, I want to say that we all should be very, very thankful as a community for the service and the decades of service. 34 years in law enforcement from Heston Silbert, Phoenix PD. He was in Mesa for a while um, and I don't know all everything he did in his career, but he was at DPS when Frank Milstead was the director. And then when uh, Frank Milstead re- retired, Eston Silbert took the job and uh, has done an exemplary job in the minds of many. He's a very respectful and respectable man. And I think he's served his community well. And I wish him the best. A school spending cap
1: is looming over Arizona lawmakers and Peoria Unified Superintendent Jason Reynolds says the waiting game is taking a heavy toll.
0: It is having a tremendous impact on how we budget, how we plan. Uh, each week that passes, it adds a little bit more concern, a little bit more stress on our entire community. What will lawmakers do about the spending cap? I think that ultimately everybody understands that not getting this passed is going to be political suicide for everyone. But at the same time, they also understand that there's a lot of political clout that comes with this vote. So I think that the people are going to hold out a little while and they're going to make concessions eventually. This is we saw this thing the last week of the legislative session. Is When this thing was overridden, it was done in time so that nobody had to miss any part of the money that they have in education. And I think that eventually it's going to happen. It's going to take some time. It's going to take a lot of negotiations and a lot of give and take. But I think eventually it gets overridden and it gets done again. All right. Good job, Julia. As always, that is, did you hear this for the first time for me this year? We'll do it again tomorrow at 1120. Um, and, you yeah, know, the, the, the education spending, I think we know the money's there. If it doesn't get done, if this education override doesn't get done, it's going to be political suicide for the people that don't make it happen. I believe that's true. But we'll see. We shall see what, how that goes. Um, What we're going to do in a moment is how much money does it take to be considered middle class? There is a number attached to that, at least an average across the country. We'll talk about that and how much have prices risen just in the past year? The inflation numbers are pretty staggering. I got a story that talks about that. So we're going to talk about the economy and how it's affecting individuals and how Arizona may be a little bit different than other parts of the country because of the economy we've built. So all that's coming up. So please stick around. (laughs) I will be right <laughs> strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show as always. Um, Keeping our eye on what's happening, uh, Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries in the house had more votes than McCarthy, but nobody has enough votes to win the speaker's race. We keep you updated here. It's a good time for you to download that KTAR News app if you haven't already done it. It is a great way to consume your news, both local, national, and international. Um, If it's happening anywhere, you're going to be notified on your device if it's on the website you'll get a link if it's on the air you'll get a link to listen live so please download the KTAR news app Um how about this economy? And this is the thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, U.S. inflation, how much have prices increased in 2022? We are starting to see the retail world um, affected by this. Macy's closing hundreds of stores around the country. Um, so this is going to affect a lot of places and a lot of people, but is is this just the national, natural progression of things? If you look on, so one of the fun things about going on social media is to see people when you get older is, hey, date yourself by naming a store that's no longer in business and it's, you know, you get thousands and thousands of replies from people and you look back and you think, man, that's really funny. Names, stores that were a household name when I was a kid that no longer are around, um, every mall had a Woolworths. There was you know, TG&Y. There were all of these other stores that were uh, big time stores, chains across the country that no longer exist. So sometimes it's the natural progression of things. And in other cases, it's an economy that's not doing very well. And in some cases, it's a business that makes bad decisions or a combination of all, everything, all of the above. But how much money is considered to be middle class in America? How much money does it take to be considered middle class? And what's interesting about that is, um, here in, in our society, it's a broad spectrum. So between 47000 and $141,000 is considered middle class somewhere. The American households earning as little as $47,000 and up to $141,000 are considered middle class. Why is the middle class so important? And this is where I think um, we should be talking about this. We understand that there are people that are always, the rich are always going to get richer. I hope people understand that. But what are we doing to give the average working family that isn't trying to build an empire? They, what they're trying to build is a life. How do those people get ahead? How do they maintain? How do they see the fruits of their labor turning into something that they want? Somebody that's eventually going to be able to buy a home. Um, They're going to be able to either put their kids through college or help their kids with college. Uh, They are going to be able to set money aside so that when they're old enough to retire, they can retire comfortably and live in the same lifestyle they've come accustomed to. Go on a family vacation once a year. I mean, that's, that's when you think about the middle class, that's classically what people think about. Middle class doesn't mean you don't have money problems and it doesn't mean you don't have to live on a budget. It means that you can live within your means and live comfortably. You live a life. We understand that. Um. There are some people that look to build an empire. There are some people that are blessed and have, a, have a, a, a unique skill that pays them an exorbitant amount of money. And then there's the barons of industry. But when we punish the barons of industry, we punish everybody else. When you have a new tax in place um, that is supposed to only hurt the rich, it's going to hurt everyone. And it's that class warfare thing. I think the middle class, my key to success, and I'm not, I'm not immensely successful when it comes to money anyway, but my key to success has been um, I was never jealous of the wealth of somebody that had more money than me. And what I mean by that um, is when you look at those people that have a lot of money, they always gave me the impression that if they could do it, I could do it. They gave me encouragement. They taught me skills. I never had any jealousy toward them. I never had any jealousy toward my boss driving a brand new car, or having a big house. And the reason why is because I wanted him to feel like it was because of my hard work that he had some of that. That I, I contributed to his success or her success, because when I wanted a raise, when I wanted my quality of life, or I wanted the next promotion, or I wanted the next step forward in my career, I wanted them to believe that A, they wanted to keep me around, and B, that I had done well with with, with the responsibilities they had given me, and it was time to give me more. And it served me well from working in restaurants when I was 15 years old. I started at 12. I got my first real job at 15, but I had my first job as a busboy at 12 years old. But when I started in a restaurant at 15 years old, it was a brand-new restaurant built from the ground up. I was named employee of the quarter for my part of the restaurant at 15, And it was just because I showed up. I worked when they asked. I did what they asked me to do. Now, I'm not – I don't believe that I have anything exceptional about me except my work ethic. And what I'm saying is when we look at our economy, when we look at the diversification of the Arizona economy, when we look now that there are those high-paying jobs that are available to young people, you know, as we talk about the economy and people don't want to work and we want this and we want that, I look at it, it is definitely in my mind a glass-half-full scenario. And what I mean by this is if I had young kids – now, my, I'm in that tweener spot. I've got adult children. And I've got grandchildren that are still in the school system. So I don't have anybody that's just entering the workforce. But if I did, if I had kids in high school or grandkids in high school, and I was talking to them about their future, I would tell them right now the glass half full thing is all you have to do is show up and work hard. If you're willing to show up and you're willing to work hard, you can write your own check. Because a business owner knows that no one is gonna work harder than him or her in their business. No one is going to care about it like they do. But if they get some people to take pride in their work, whatever it is you're doing, if it's sales or it's in the trades or whatever it is, if you show up and you want to do a good job for you, yes, you want your boss to be happy with you, but you take pride in a day's work, whatever that work is for you, you can write your own ticket. I'm telling you that from personal experience. When I look at the economy and where it is, there are some scary things happening. There are families that can't make ends meet because of the cost of things going up. Saw a story yesterday that said we can expect gas prices to start rising again. They should be spiking again sometime this summer. And all of those stories are out there. We get it. But here in Arizona, we have an opportunity for high-paying jobs and careers that feed your families. And if you're looking for one of those, show up at work, work hard, and do what you're asked. And if that's the only requirement, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of people out there that, um, you know, you just don't have uh, a high bar for success. And I just hope people take advantage of it. I really do. Uh, Coming up in a moment, we got another topic we're going to go back to that we talked about earlier today. and It has to do with schools. We'll get to it coming up next. (laughs) Strong Values and Strong Opinions, The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Before we close it out, I want to kind of meld a bunch of topics together that, to me, make perfect sense. We just got done talking about the economy and opportunity here in Arizona and giving people opportunity. We talked earlier about schools in Arizona and what we're going to do about the spending cap. If you're not familiar with this story, it's one that's very, very big, and it's going to matter to all of you. It doesn't matter if you have children in school or not. We have money allocated for education, but it violates a law from the 1980s on a spending cap on education. It was passed by a proposition, which means it takes a two-thirds majority of both the House and the Senate and the state legislature to override it to allow them to put that money that's already allocated and in the bank for districts to use it. It's talking – we're talking about $2 billion or about $2 billion in spending. So it is a significant amount of money in education. But – Along with that conversation becomes the conversation about results and how we are not getting results in Arizona. And for years and years and years, we've heard that it's about money. Um, It never is. If you go and look at some of the districts around this country that spend the most per student on education, they've got terrible results. And you see other places that spend a modest amount of money, they get very good results. So in the end, we have to come together and look at what works and what doesn't. And that to me is the biggest issue for every parent, out for, not, not even parent, for every citizen in Arizona to hear that we have far less than 50 percent of children in the third grade that can read at a third grade level should scare the heck out of all of us with what our future is like if they can't read their future for them specifically. But as a society, what our futures are like, we're tying one of their hands behind their backs when you have. An eighth grader, they can't perform math skills at an eighth grade level, not ready to go on to high school math when we have jobs here that are high-tech jobs that require mathematics skills. And we're not doing that. I want to couple that story. So we started with the success of our economy and a a possibility of a recession and the opportunities that are out there in Arizona that if you want a job, you can find it. Now we're talking about education and having the tools. And I've said this many times, one more time, probably won't be the last. I was a great student in my early years. Straight A's, learned to read early, performed math skills well. I was a terrible student in high school. The good thing for me was I had the tool belt. I had the tools necessary to learn so that when I took education seriously because I had a career that I was driving toward as an electrician, I had the skill set to learn it. When I transitioned into this career, I had the skill set to do what I do here because it was given to me at a young age. You carry that tool belt with you for the rest of your life. So that tool belt, those tools for education are so important. But now let's talk about immigration. Highest naturalization numbers In 15 years, COVID stopped a lot of people from naturalized, becoming naturalized citizens here in the U.S. The numbers now are higher than they've been in 15 years, which I think is a good thing. But let me ask you a question. Why is it that so many people that come to this country from somewhere else, we hear so many stories of success, and I don't mean great wealth and mansions, but people that become successful, I told the story of the families I've been closest with. My buddy Adam, whose dad and mom started a business and became very, very successful. Uh, His father reads at a third grade level. I don't think he finished school, but he worked his butt off all of his life and became a successful person. Um, My friends from Cuba that in one generation brought their children to this country. Everybody in the family became citizens at their first opportunity and they thrived in America all of the kids are now successful themselves they have children of their own which are the first generation Americans that are born here the parents that brought their children here own their home, own their cars wife went to an American college taught in the public school system he's retired that's the American dream right? you put your time in you set money aside when it comes time to retire you've got the money that you need to retire and that's what they've done Why is it we hear those stories from people that are first-generation Americans, and there are people in this country that are not succeeding that are from here? Is it a societal thing? Is it that we are spoiled? I don't know the answer to it. But it's an interesting question, how somebody can come to this country, not speak the language very well, and find a way to succeed immensely. And other people that have everything at their doorstep and at their feet as far as opportunity goes, and they aren't successful. And I'm not, that's not a condemnation. It's it's an honest question. And I'm asking it because if you put everything we just talked about together, how do we take all of that together and give someone an opportunity at success? There are people out there. You lead the horse to water, right? You can do that. But what are we doing? To provide an opportunity at success for the people that are willing to work and fight for it. That doesn't mean that people aren't going to be wrong, that unfairness is No, but what it means is for so many people, giving them an opportunity to succeed. It starts with an education, even when they don't think they want it. I wanted nothing to do with high school. I, I was working 15 years old, I was making a few hundred bucks a week, working in a restaurant, working around people older than me, felt like a grown-up, wanted to be a grown-up, didn't want anything to do with the childhood, and I threw away my childhood. It's what I did. Now, it prepared me for things later in life, I'm not complaining, but at least I had the educational tools from when I was very, very young. I had the ability to learn. And it, it's, it's these situations that we have to look at and say... We really have to work on this. All right, so we're just about out of time. Um, I hope people will contemplate this. You know, the idea that we give people opportunities. I think that that more than anything else is, is, is the best of who we are. And uh, tomorrow we got more on the show. Did you hear this at all? If you are a social media user, I want to give you opportunities on how you can catch the show or or catch me after the show. If you are a social media user, at Broomhead, K-T-A-R is how you find me on Twitter. At Broomhead Show updates you on the things we're doing on the show, guests and otherwise. So follow those two accounts. Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram is where you can find me. I got a bunch of pictures I'm going to be posted from my trip to Florida. Uh, While I was in Florida, I took a bunch of pictures of the hurricane damage because I grew up in Fort Myers and the the beach devastation is immense. So I'll probably post some of those pictures. Like, I have so many of them. I'm going to post a bunch of them today so you can see them. And uh, it, it, it really was a great time. So a big thank you to everyone and a big thank you to Heston Silbert, the colonel uh, who is running DPS, who leaves on Friday. Go listen to the interview on the podcast. Download the KTAR News app. It's a great way to consume the show. I appreciate you spending some time with me. We'll be back tomorrow morning starting at around 8 o'clock like we always do little bit after the news expansion. So until then, have a great day, everyone. God bless.